This is LifeSpeak, a podcast about well-being, mental health, and building resilience through knowledge. Here's Marianne Weisenthal. I'm speaking today with Sarah Smeaton. Sarah is a certified professional co-active coach and facilitator who partners with people in their middle years to help them grow and thrive professionally and personally. She works with clients in Canada, the U.S., and the U.K., and she joins me today from Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the Life Speak podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. People rarely say, I can't wait to be middle-aged. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not really reflected in the best light. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, they do say it to me now. <laughs> Younger people do say it to me now. So I think if you want people to be excited about a certain time of life, then they need to see role models and examples of something different than what we were sort of maybe shown or um, what the predominant cultural feelings were about being in middle age. When we were coming up, I think they were pretty negative and pretty stereotypical that you know, anything after 40 is time to pack it all up and go off into a corner quietly and knit and wait for grandchildren. And, you know, that is just so no longer what I think our society is leaning towards. And so I think that the younger people do have a better model for what it is to be in midlife now. But ageism is a real thing. And I think that is a really big reason why we dread it, because ultimately we uh, are taught to dread growing older. You say in in your work that there's actually a huge upside to this phase of life. I believe there is. Yeah. I kind of think about it like this. If you were on holiday from Saturday to Saturday, you wouldn't get to Wednesday and go, well, we only have a few days left. I guess we'll just go home now. You would be like, okay, what are we going to do to make the most of Thursday and Friday and Saturday? And what are we going to see? And we know now that we love that restaurant that we went to on Monday. So will we go there again? Or do we want to see something new? And I think that is part of the opportunity of midlife is to take what you know about yourself and what you've already experienced with you into this next stage, but also to be open to trying new things and having new experiences. That, that's what I think is part of the upside. You know, I also really feel like what makes it so powerful is this notion of having experience and possibility, which is really what I've just alluded to in this example it's really the only time in our lives that we will have that. We'll have all of this experience behind us and an equal amount of possibility if we're lucky. I mean, the truth is we never know what the middle is. And energy still somewhat. (laughs) And maybe resources and maybe our health at the same time, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's situation is different, obviously, but it's the same with when you're 20. You know, some 20 year olds have less energy than others and less. So, you know, it's, I think the stories that we tell ourselves about how it should be or what it could be or how come I'm not like that person is a lot of the reason that we have trouble. We compare ourselves to other people or we compare ourselves perhaps even to the generations that came before us when the truth is things are different for Gen X in midlife and they'll be different for Gen Z. They're going to have a very different experience in midlife and it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how they experience it like how will millennials experience their 50s like they're coming in with different tools and resources and 
experiences than we've had. And and I think, you know, sometimes think about like, what will Taylor Swift write about when she's 52? And that makes me laugh because I, I just can't kind of wait to hear what she writes about. Why did you decide to make this particular phase of life the focus of your coaching work? Well, you know, when I was training to be a coach, I was in my 40s. I have kids. So my kids were getting a little bit older. And they were, I think my daughter was maybe 13. So my son was 11. They were just, you know, coming out of that really intense child rearing time. And I looked around the room and I felt like, oh, you know, there's a lot of people in here who are roughly my age, who have kids roughly the age of my kids. And I thought that's really interesting. It feels like a a time of reemergence in a way. And I find that really exciting. I'm not sure if you know, there's a new term for 19 to 29 year olds called emerging adults. I don't know how new it is, but it's new to me. And I was looking at what makes them, what what categorizes them. And so many of the things are also true about midlife people. The, The biggest difference is that we have responsibilities and obligations that they don't have. But it's a really exciting time of emergence and where you can say, okay, I've done all this and now what else is there for me? I think it's interesting that you called it an exciting time of life because I don't think I've ever heard anybody refer to 40s and 50s as an exciting time of life. So that makes me really happy oh. to hear. Oh, let me put it to you this way. I was very heads down in my 30s, like head down, having kids, raising kids, working, doing all the things. And I don't know, something happened to me in my 40s where I kind of woke up one day and went, okay, wait. I could live another 40, 50 years. And is this it? Like, not that there was anything wrong with my life or my work or anything, but it was just like, is this the end for me or what else is there? And that was a a really key moment when they kind of realized like, oh, wow, like I could still have so much that is still to happen. And uh, so to me, that's very exciting. And I also think as you know, that I don't know that sort of cliche that people as they get older don't care what others think. I don't fully believe that, but I do think that we start to care more about other things. Like that becomes something that we care about, but we care more about, let's say, leaving something on the table that we never did. We don't want to have that regret. So we might care more about fulfilling something that we've always wanted to do than what other people think. What do you hear from your clients about how they're experiencing middle age? What are they coming to you with? What sorts of challenges and concerns? By virtue of the fact that I state that I am a midlife coach, in some ways that takes midlife itself out of it. Like people don't have to explain things to me. They're just like, okay, she's going to get me because she understands this time of life. And everybody's different, obviously. So they're not usually coming and saying like, I'm middle-aged, help me. It's more like, I really want to be intentional. I'm turning 50. I really want to be intentional about what comes next for me. Or I'm coming to a different stage in my career and I really want to give some thought of how I'm going to go about this. Or I know I want to move, but I just don't know where I want to move to. Or I, I had somebody who was on medical leave. And it's like, how do I, what do I do from here? So a lot of times there's this feeling of, I don't know what's next for me. And I just want to know. 
which again is, I think, part of the emergence or the reemergence, maybe. You know, a lot of people make career changes at this time, sort of career pivots. You, you did that yourself. What would you say to somebody maybe who's listening, who's thinking about doing this at this particular stage of their life and maybe need some confidence to do that or wondering what that might look like for them? So I kind of did it twice because I did it early in my 40s and then I did it again a little later in my 40s. And I think, you know, part of it is you may have some stories that you tell yourself about who you are that are not true. Like, for example, I used to always say I could never have my own business. And that's just turned out not to be true. I think getting to a certain level of experience helped me have my own business. So, you know, maybe it was true that I would have had a harder time with that when I was younger. But I do think that midlife is a great time to just stop and review and say, well, what am I thinking about these different things? What is it that I would like to do? If, if I could do anything, how would I like to spend my days? How would I like to spend my weeks? What would feel really meaningful? And look, it's a privilege to be able to switch gears. It is like not everybody is going to be able to do it, but everybody can get curious and everybody can, can kind of have a, an inspirational what if session with themselves where it's like, okay, if this is what I really want, what if this were true? What if I worked part-time? What if I worked, what if I had a side hustle? What if I did this? What if I did that? Like people can open up possibilities for themselves because I think so much of the time we shut it down. Like, oh, I could never do that because I have my mortgage to pay or I could never do that, whatever it is. And I think in that case, we shut down a lot of possibilities. Can we talk a little bit about coaching in general? Because I think people have a lot of questions about what what are the benefits of working with a coach and how is it different? Because you're not a mental health expert, but obviously some of your work touches on people's mental health. So when would someone maybe come to see you versus going to see, say, a psychotherapist to make some of these decisions? So if somebody was, let's say, depressed or had anxiety, then they should be getting support for that. And they could also have a coach. So anybody could have a coach. It's just that the coach isn't going to be trained to help you through some of the things like that a therapist would be. And I don't want to speak for therapists at all, but as a coach, what I'm trained to do is help you process your feelings. And a lot of the people that come to me have quite deep feelings and I'm not afraid of that. So, you know, coaching is a really great self-awareness tool and a really great space to practice who you want to be and to reflect on. Earlier I was saying, you know, you have all this experience that you're bringing into midlife, but experience is really only valuable if you take the time to reflect on it and understand what that experience meant to you and who it made you and who you're being in the world. And coaching is, especially co-active coaching is really, really good at helping you understand, okay, this happened. What impact did you have? What does that mean about you? What qualities of yours were you using in that experience? What qualities of yours might you have used next, like might you use next time? Um, And then you bring that out into the world for your next thing and you're like, okay, this is who I am. I know this about myself. And so I can approach this differently now because I've had that experience. And that's where I think the possibilities get really opened up. So 
I don't know if that makes sense, but it's a really great space for processing feelings, for understanding what happened in the situation and how you want to move forward with it. And maybe getting unstuck. Coaching is great for getting unstuck. One of the things that I do with clients a lot is we look at perspectives. So actually what you were saying about, you know, everybody dreads midlife, like that is a perspective. When I say that midlife is the power years, that's a perspective. That's a choice of the way that I think of this stage of life. And that changes everything I do. If I think these are my power years, that's like, okay, so what's in my power to do? What do I want to do? What do I, what am I curious about? As opposed to like, oh, bon, bon, it's all over. Then I'm just going to sit on my couch. You and I have spoken before and you gave me the example of JLo and you, you talked about how in middle age, it's like we see these, these models, which are really fantastic. I mean, Jennifer Lopez, you know, Michelle Obama, especially for women, we're told that we're supposed to be confident like JLo in our middle age, but most of us are not JLo. So what can we do to feel good and to have confidence? Well, just to go back to JLo for a second, because, you know, no, nothing against JLo. She's amazing. But I think what's, what happens is that midlife is the beginning of the end is kind of the, the cultural. And then it's like, no, actually you can be really hot and like be on stage and be doing all these things and achieving and it's swaying so much the other way that, and I think both can be really demoralizing in different ways because you might think, as you say, like, well, I'm not JLo and I'm not going to be doing that. And so, and I think there is something kind of in the middle. My friend Ann Douglas wrote a really great book for people who are in midlife. It's called Navigating the Messy Middle. And she really makes the point is it's, midlife is not all miserable and it's not all magical. There is... <laughs> there is a mix, of course, like any other stage of life. Like there is really none that I can think of that I've experienced that have been all one thing. No, I mean, people talk about their 20s being magical. But when I look back on some things that I was going through at that time, I don't remember thinking it was particularly magical. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I think in hindsight, maybe people think that things were magical. But honestly, the 20s are probably one of the hardest decades. And it's because we're so obsessed with youth that I think we glorify it quite a bit. But if we can really, you know, just understand that it's not about what anyone else is doing or thinking, it's like about us. And what do I want for myself? And what would a good midlife look like for me? And, and also remembering this is a huge span of time. This is like, I think they're saying 40 to 60 now, maybe even longer. So a 45-year-old versus a 55-year-old versus a 59-year-old, everybody's going to have a different experience. And so we just have to say, like, what is a good midlife for me? What, how do I make the most of this? There's another author named Carl Honore. He wrote a book called Boulder, and he wrote it because he was deeply ageist and afraid of aging, and he wanted to investigate if his beliefs about getting older were true. And that's a good book to read if you do want to have some optimism about aging. It's um, He gives a lot of examples of things that get better with age. But I've heard him say that he, instead of thinking about, I'm, I think he's 55 or 56 now. So instead of like, I'm I'll just use my age. Instead of saying I'm 52 years old, he would say I'm on level 52. 
And what treasures will there be at this level? And what adventures will there be at this level? And what opportunities? And how will I play the game at this level? And, you know, that's a really interesting way to think about it. I think it takes some of the angst out of it a bit. Like, I'm going to the next level as opposed to, like, I'm another year older. Like a video game. Exactly. Like a video game. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you go through the different stages and you're like, oh, look at this treasure. Look at this treasure. I'm putting these in my bag. And then you go to the next level with the experience of the level behind you. I just thought that was a really neat analogy that he made. But his book is is useful for anybody who's really feeling fear about getting older. Because there's, there's so many examples of people who are doing amazing things and the way our brain changes for the better in some ways. You know, I think we, we have such a perception of like everything is declining and that's just not true. What has middle age been like for you? How are you experiencing it now versus maybe in those years when you were just approaching it and maybe not feeling great about it? I don't remember really ever thinking about it before I was in it. My maternal grandmother died when she was 49. Um, so I've always had an understanding that you don't sometimes get to meet your grandkids and that that middle age is not always going to be the middle. Sometimes it's going to be the end. Um, I also have another grandmother who's turning 98 next week. And so on the other hand, I've seen that you can have a really long life and what do you want to do with that life? And so I think that's given me a unique perspective to appreciate every birthday and to try to be intentional with my life. But I had a pretty stressful time. My 30s were stressful, I'll say. And so when I emerged into my 40s, it was kind of exciting. I started doing different work at that time. I started writing professionally, which was something that I had been really wanting to do for a long time. And I got to really start to look at what in my life was I ready to not change exactly because to the outside, it would seem like there probably weren't that many changes, but there were a lot of boundary issues. I <laughs> think, you know, I mentioned that a lot of the people who come to me, I think I mentioned this are quite sensitive and, and deep feeling people. And so am I. And one of the ways that you can tell that you are a deep feeler is that you have pretty uh, significant boundary issues. And I did. And it was obvious. And and in my 40s, I was pretty exhausted a lot of the time. And so I would say, now being on the other side of 50, I really feel like I've resolved a lot of those issues. And I feel very protective of my own energy and my own time. And I'm also clear about when I am giving something out of generosity and when I'm giving it out of obligation, which was not at all clear to me, I think, earlier in my life. The thing that surprised me about 50, I was very, very excited to turn 50 because I really think like, wow, that's a special birthday. And I went to my doctor and she's like, okay, we're going to send you for all your 50 year old, you know, tests. And I spent the better part of that year and tests and follow-ups and this and that. And it was like, wow, this is a drag. I did not expect. I think I had like, I don't know, three or four ultrasounds and mammograms and MRIs and like just up like just so much stuff and there was nothing wrong in the end you know luckily but it was a huge chunk of my 
time and energy went into this. And that was a surprise and I think a disappointment, especially because I had been so looking forward to it. So I kind of feel like my 50s didn't really start till I turned 51. And I'm still on the early side, obviously. But it's the most me I've ever felt. It's the most accepting of my whole self I've ever felt. And I think every decade, I just feel like I become more of myself. And like, I think it's a great thing. And my clients, I feel the same way. You know, they come in and when I complete with someone, it's just like night and day sometimes. And and the gifts that people come in with that they have been just pushing to the side because there's so many responsibilities and obligations and they, you know, they want to be, um, I'm going to put this in quotes, Marianne, but like they want to be good. You know, they want to be good people and good spouses and good parents and good employees and these things just get pushed to the side and then when you have this space in coaching to look at all of it and really look at what's important to you and who you are and who you want to be you get to think about what you bring to the table that's a little unique and I think it's really special when people start to embrace that especially in their midlife middle years. So if somebody's listening and is maybe at this particular period in their life and maybe has some curiosity and some questions and maybe they don't have the means to work with a coach or, you know, it just doesn't work for them right now. Like what, what is maybe a couple of things they could maybe ask themselves to sort of steer themselves in a positive direction? I guess a place to start. Sometimes it's easier to look at what you don't want. And one place to look is maybe like, what am I tolerating? Is always a good one. Because sometimes like, what do I want is hard. Sometimes a place to look is like, what do I resent? What bugs me? What meeting do I dread going to? What friends calls do I not pick up? What in my house have I stopped looking at? Like, so what am I tolerating? And, and just to maybe get curious about that. That's an interesting jumping off point. Start with what maybe is rubbing you the wrong way or that you're not happy with. And then what could you do instead or look at instead or who could you talk to instead? Yeah. Like what would have to be true for this to be different? <laughs> you know, like What would have to change? That's also where the boundaries come in. There's a book called, I think it's called The Power of Saying No by an author named Vanessa something. I'm sorry. I don't have her last name on the tip of my tongue, but she talks about an interesting thing called velvet ropes that a lot of my clients are very interested in as a concept. And it's just this gentle way of putting up ropes around what's important to you. So it might be, I don't answer emails after 6pm. Or I don't go to meetings on Mondays. Or on Wednesdays, I leave work at five to go to the gym. And it's just these little ropes that help other people navigate working with you or living with you or being in relationship with you in some way. Do you find that people of different genders experience middle life differently? So this is a a hard question for me to answer, I think, because any men that I work with, they're, they're very sort of specific type of men that come to me and they are also these kind of sensitive deep feelers. And so I don't notice really much of a difference. I think the biggest probably difference, obviously, is that women have the physical expectations on us that are really 
demanding and hard for a lot of us. And also people with uteruses can have the menopause stuff that can be really hard. But overall, I think we all want the same thing. You know, we all want to be fulfilled. We all want love in our life. We all want to be contributing meaningfully in some way. And we want to be satisfied in our lives. And I don't think that gender comes into play on that. But again, I'm skewed because I'm not talking to uh, a lot of alpha male type of people. I'm, I'm really talking to the people who come to me are kind of creative and intuitive and like making connections and are compassionate and have a lot of empathy. And that's regardless of gender. Regardless of gender. Yeah. I want to ask you a bit more about deep feelers because you've mentioned that a few times. What What is a deep feeler? What does that look like or feel like? It's kind of a new to me expression and I, I'm not claiming to be an expert about it, but I, I was really noticing that my clients had a lot in common. And the first time it clicked for me is I read Susan Cain's book, Bittersweet. And I was like, oh, I think my clients are bittersweet. I think I'm bittersweet. I don't know if you read the book, but it's like this notion that you can be somebody who finds sadness and beauty and beauty and sadness. So like if you're crying for music or nature really moves you, you might be a bittersweet person. And I thought that was it. And then I was introduced to the idea of being a very sensitive person, like we call it highly sensitive person or a deep feeler. And that started to feel like the lane that I am in and probably why I'm attracting the people I'm attracting. And I can read you some of them from something that I looked at. There was a woman named Nancy Levering who wrote about deep feelers. So some of the things that would make a deep feeler recognize themselves, a vivid imagination, quite a rich inner life, a real deep appreciation for music, awareness of your surroundings and creativity and innovation. A lot of deep feelers have very strong intuitive powers, I guess you would say. And the idea that like you kind of have this sensory understanding of what's going on, not just an intellectual understanding of what's going on. So part of what makes it hard is that you're taking in a lot at a lot of different levels. So if you're in a meeting, you're not just hearing the points, you're also noticing the emotions maybe of the people in the room, and you're maybe picking up something in the, uh, we call it in coaching level three, which is like the energetic field of the room. And so sometimes that can make it seem like you don't have an opinion. Like if someone said, oh, Sarah, what do you think of that? I might in that moment not know exactly what I think because I'm taking in so much and processing so much. So for me, I need to go away and think and write an email later. And so that can be a challenge because a lot of times in the workplace, that type of person, that type of processing isn't regarded as highly as somebody who can just have an opinion right on the spot. But it's it's such a, a loss if we discount the people who need to take a little more time because they're going back and thinking so deeply about it. And they will they will come back with a really creative, innovative, thoughtful response if we give them the time. So that can be a challenge of being a deep feeler. And you can also feel a little bit boundaryless, as I said before, or like 
you take things in, like if it's a noisy environment, it might be hard. So there's a lot of sensory things. So that's kind of the challenge of it. And it's got to be difficult to navigate the workplace and to be heard if you're a deep feeler, particularly in the corporate world where there's not a lot of space for that or maybe time or everybody's rushing and everybody wants answers right away. So how does somebody maybe navigate that as a deep feeler? I really always feel like there's space for everybody that the more you understand yourself and have self-awareness and self-knowledge, the better you can communicate to your peers, to your employers, to your teammates, what they can expect from you and what you might need and how they can get the best from you. And when you can do that, I, I think there's no limit to your success because it's great to have people who process things differently, right? On a team. And it's great to have people who might be picking up something that someone else isn't. And so I think that they can navigate it by taking the time to give themselves what they need, really making sure they're good on their self-care and their boundaries and that they're doing whatever they need to do to feel great at work. And then also being really communicative about, you know, like if I'm in a meeting and someone says, Sarah, what do you think? I might say, you know what, give me some time to process it. And I'm going to get back to everybody this by five with my thoughts and an email. And then at least people know. But if you're trying to be something that you're not or trying to emulate someone who maybe processes differently than you, then you can leave that meeting feeling really bad. How do you think someone can truly thrive in their middle years? I think that everybody has to decide for themselves what that means and what a successful, I'm putting that in quotes, midlife looks like for you. And really take the time to consider, like, what does that mean? What does thriving mean? Like, for some people, that's going to be climbing mountains and running marathons. For someone else, it's like reading lots of books or having very deep relationships or painting or going for walks every day. Like, it's so different for every person. So how you can thrive is by taking the time to understand really what it is that you want for yourself and what you can do, what's in your control. and not letting maybe it's someone else's definition of thrive make you feel like you can't have the life you want. Sarah Smeaton, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me. Really was great talking to you. For more about this episode, go to lifespeak.com slash podcast.